I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Back in those days, the Broncos started to become successful, started to generate big crowds and lots of money and all that type of thing, and and uh, maybe got a bit bit big for their boots. Uh, and the New South Wales Rugby League hierarchies said, come on, boys, this is our competition, not yours. Stand back, stand back. Down the blind, Andrew Johnson. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. This morning, I bring you part two of our interview with Tony Durkin. Tony, of course, he was the Queensland editor of Rugby League Week during the 80s and the 90s. Uh, he went on to work for the Brisbane Broncos as their media manager during the 2000s. You'll hear all about that in part three. And part three, a bit of a longer episode. It'll be about 55 minutes today. You've only got about 20 minutes. And the reason why I've cut this one down is because this episode... We talk about a couple of guys that played in the 90s. We talk about Wayne Pierce first, a couple of other fellows, which is interesting. But then we dive into one of the more interesting parts about Tony Durkin for me. Um, he was the man that actually broke the story of Super League. Uh, he was the first man to write an article on it saying, hey, there's something happening here. This is going to be huge for rugby league. And what he wrote was so unbelievable that essentially everyone ignored it. No one really cared. No one really took notice of it. Just thought it was pie in the sky, as Tony describes. And um, it's funny, you know, just about everything he said came true. And he tells us the story behind that article. And for me, when I think about rugby league articles, I think it's probably, in hindsight, it's unbelievable that it didn't receive more more attention because it literally goes through and pinpoints what would happen over the next two years of rugby league, which if you are part of the younger audience and you weren't alive for the mid-90s to watch Super League unfold in Australia, I highly advise you do some research on it. There's a heap of podcasts that Matty Johns does where he he outlines what happened from his perspective. He has Phil Gould on talking about it. He has Blocker Roach talking about it. Paul Ken, another journalist down in Sydney. Um, of course, Tony's perspective was heavily from the Brisbane Broncos, the Gold Coast franchise. Uh, the Cowboys had come in at that point. So a really... A really interesting take on Super League from the Queensland perspective and from a journalist perspective because it was, you know, at one point I think he describes it as Christmas comes early and there's a part of this podcast today that I loved where um, 
where Tony rings Paul Morgan and says, hey, I've got a sniff of this situation. What do you know? And, you know, Porky just unloads an unbelievable amount of content on him. And, you know, it's one of the biggest moments in rugby league history, Super League. Uh, you know, it would obviously kick South Sydney out of the competition. It would see the birth of a number of clubs. It would eventually lead to a number of clubs merging together. So it really was really was a sport-defining moment for rugby league. Um, it had a lot of negatives. It had a lot of pros as well. And it really changed, changed the landscape of rugby league forever. And Tony, he was on the ground for all of it. Enjoy this little short interview here. This is part two. As I said, part three, you'll hear next Tuesday, going into his time at the Brisbane Broncos, dealing with guys like Shane Webke, Seven Receiver, um, Darren Lockyer. And of course, uh, Tony... He had a bit of a weird relationship with Wayne Bennett. It was sort of the reason why he had to leave the Brisbane Broncos at the end of the day. So part three, that's going to be an absolute cracker. Enjoy part two today. We're talking everything Super League. Tell me, mate, there's one more guy I want to ask you about from this era, and um, I'm not sure where it was, but you told me that you uh, you were actually roommates with him at one stage. It's Wayne Pierce, of course. Mitch played his 300th game the other day. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Pierce, I-, I feel like he's incredibly underrated and underappreciated in rugby league. Tell me about him. He wasn't. He, he's not a big man, Wayne Pierce. He'd be. He, he wouldn't. I wouldn't thought. I wouldn't have thought he'd weigh 100 kilos when he played, but fit and healthy. Uh, it was a trip to uh, it was a trip to Paris in in 1984 that I spoke about, and I was the only journalist on that trip from Australia. So uh, I was uh, I was I actually stayed in the same hotel in Paris as the as the Australian team, and uh, for some unknown reason I don't know whether it was because he was he might have been vice captain of the side Wayne Pierce I don't think he was actually. Um, but he was. Uh, I roomed with him. I roomed with Wayne for, I think it was a week or two, and that was that was quite hysterical because here I am at back at that stage. I didn't mind a, a brown lemonade, uh, and I used to smoke. And uh, Wayne, of course, uh, the health healthy man that he was, uh, didn't do any of that type of stuff. And uh, it was quite. It was it was the odd couple rooming together. The the guy who ate fruit and. Drank lots of water, dreaming with a bloke who smoked cigarettes and ate greasy food, and uh, and uh, had a, the odd beer. But we've been great mates for ever since. He's a great fella, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it looked like um, it looked like Mitch was going to get a victory on his uh, in his 300th game. But um, the West Tigers, to their credit, had, had other thoughts. They played very well, I thought. I was reading the other day, mate, funnily enough, that when the West Tigers played their first ever game of rugby league, um, he was the ball boy that day. And then he plays his 300th game against the West Tigers, something like 21 years later. Rugby league, it's incredible sometimes, isn't it? Right. Well, I remember their first game, actually. It was at Campbelltown, and they played the Broncos. And uh, they drew with them. I think the Broncos might have scored three tries to two, and... um... Old kick got the name, so I didn't know. I didn't realise that that Mitch was uh, Mitch was ball boy that day at Campbelltown. So good on him, mate. The nineteen nineties rugby league, an unbelievable period. We've spoken about so many, you know, all time great superstars, and it's towards the end of the nineties that, or the mid nineties, that the game would change forever. Um, Super League pops up, and, and I, I believe that you had a bit of a scoop on this early. Is that right? Well, I did actually. Um, Twelve months before, in fact, March the second, nineteen ninety-four, published in Rugby League Week a, a, a story entitled "World Series League." Now, I'd, I'd heard a whisper that something was going on, that the Broncos were unhappy, 
uh, with the New South Wales Rugby League hierarchy of mostly of Ken Arthurson and, and John Quayle. And uh, let's not beat around the bush. They had lots of blues back in those days. The Broncos started to become successful, started to generate big crowds and lots of money and all that type of all that type of thing. And and uh, maybe got a bit bit big for their boots. Uh, and the New South Wales Rugby League hierarchy said, come on, boys, this is our competition, not yours. Stand back, stand back, do all this type of thing. John Rebo, in fact, was was on a committee, some some special committee. <laughs> he was the chief executive of the Broncos, and for, for seemingly for no particular reason, he was told he was no longer on that committee. And Anyway, I heard, heard some whispers that the Broncos weren't happy. <laughs> so one Sunday, I'm in my office, and I thought, I'll give I'll give John Reeve a ring and see if there's anything in this. And I rang him and he said, "I'll leave me out of that. Go. I'm, I'm not going to get into that one." I said, "Well, I'm going to do something on it, mate. So, you know, I've got I've got a I've got an inkling that something's happening. What do you think I should do?" He said, "Ring Porky." Now Porky was Paul Morgan, who at the time was the chairman of the Broncos. So I ring Paul Paul Morgan at home, which you do in those days. You ring these people at home. His wife Sue Ellen answers the phone. Said, oh, Tony, Paul's going to love you. He's out in the garden pruning roses, which he absolutely hates. I'll go and get him. So <laughs> Sue Ellen goes out to get Porky. Porky comes in and says, oh, thanks, mate. That's good. He got me out of that job. And uh, he unloaded on the condition that uh, I don't mention his name. All the information he gave me I could use as long as I didn't mention his name. And, and uh you know, it was it, that was what they were playing. They 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 wanted to instigate some kind of a competition uh, as a breakaway competition, something along the lines of um, you know the NFL in in America, and uh, so that was the germ for Super League, which of course the news broke twelve months later. And in hindsight. Um, it may have been for the betterment of the game. I'm not sure, but at the time it was just a wreck, an absolute wreck. There were people who loved the game who probably have never watched another game of rugby league since, and it split the, it just split the competition down the middle, literally. And uh, as far as the fans were concerned as well, it was, it was horrible there for a while. Mate, I imagine when his wife, uh, you know, pulled him onto the phone that day and he started unloading all that all that information for you, that must have been Christmas Day for a journo. Oh, it was Christmas Day, all right. It was, it was, it was clearly not. If I was honest, if I'm honest, I'm probably a little disappointed that that story didn't get as much recognition as it probably deserved. Because I think people, uh, twelve months before Super League actually uh, came into being, thought it was probably pie in the sky that these blokes were having themselves on. That there's no way in the world that they could they could bust up a competition as strong as the uh, New South Wales Rugby League competition. So. Uh, no, it was good. I enjoyed riding it, I must say. And, um, and you know, my opinion uh, kind of backed them a little bit because I was pretty close to both sides of the fence and I could see that uh, the Broncos were moving pretty quickly and probably the uh, the authorities were thinking, well, hang on a minute, hold back, boys. We're not going as quick as you are. Did you get much pushback from that article, mate? Or, or did people just sort of think it was too it was too far-fetched to be a reality? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the latter. That, that people thought, yeah, these blokes are dreaming. Uh, they've become too big for their boots. They're too powerful. Or they think they're too powerful. It's not going to happen. But once uh, Rupert Murdoch got involved, well, it happened all right. 
So when you wrote that article and you put it out, in, in your heart, did you think that was actually going to occur? Like it was going to unfold the way that um, that Porky had painted a picture for you? I knew that they weren't going to surrender, put it that way. Whether it was going to develop uh, to the stage where it developed, uh, I couldn't say whether I was sure of that or not, but I knew these four guys and I knew that they were being frustrated. See, but one of the things that people don't understand was that they were being sponsored by Power Brewing. Now, this Power Brewing, uh, a boat called Bernie Power started Power Brewing around the same time as the Broncos were born. Now, before Power Brewing had even had a beer on the market, Bernie Power, who was, I must say, uh, friends and business associates with the four guys who owned the Broncos, put up $1 million a year sponsorship for the Broncos major sponsorship for the Broncos before he had a beer on the market. Wow. And so, a, mil- a million dollars back then too. A million dollars back then. So um, uh, John Rebo, the CEO of the Broncos, back then said to Bernie Power, geez, mate, I hope your beer's okay. And Bernie Power said, and I hope your footy team's okay. <laughs> See, no, the Broncos hadn't, hadn't played a game and Bernie Power hadn't brewed a beer. So... But that, that's the gamble that these people took and and, and the, they couldn't even sell their beer at, uh, at at the old Lang Park Stadium because it was controlled by Castlemaine Forex. So the only beer that could be sold at the ground that was Forex, yet the team was sponsored by Powell Brewing, you know, Powell's Beer. So it was, it was very convoluted, very difficult and lots of hurdles to get over and well, I think the, the the four directors said, we've got to control our own destiny here, so this is what we're going to do. Mate, was there a moment over the next two or three years or probably 18 months realistically where you went sort of, wow, like like this stuff, this Super League stuff, this is fair income, like this is going to go? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I was involved with the Broncos from, <clears throat> excuse me, as I said, almost from the start, not closely, but on the periphery, and I did their you know, edited their, their annual magazine since 1992 after they won the first premiership. So I was privy, privy to lots of things that were going on uh, in the, in the, on the inside. But the great thing about it from a journalist's point of view was how much copy we got out of this. You know, it just, it was just grist for the mill. It was wonderful for, for us. Stories going left, right and centre at the time. We had the, we had the footy show, the Channel 9 footy show. So rugby league was getting talked about Everywhere, um, a lot of it, unfortunately, was negative. But um, you know, it was it, yeah, it was it was a great time for the game insofar as uh, publicity was concerned. Mate, it was obviously a crazy time for rugby league. I know I hear a lot of these stories. I've heard Matt Johns talk about a lot of them that there was just there was managers essentially breaking into their hotel room to try and sign these guys. What was that? Was there one day in particular or a moment that was just the craziest for you during this period? Uh, well, I was in Townsville the night that covering the game up there between uh, the Cowboys and, and Canberra when uh, it actually broke. And, and, a, and a guy, a good mate of mine, who has become a good mate of mine, Michael O'Connor, Snoz, uh, who lives up here now, he was, uh, he was one of the uh, procurers of Super League, of players for Super League. And, you know, he jumped out of a window of a motel in 
in in Canberra for some unknown. I just forget the reason, but he had to he either went in the window or went went out the window because it was all so damn secretive. But um, in fact, one one of the things that I'm not quite sure whether I did the right thing or the wrong thing at the time, but a couple of the players from the Broncos approached me about becoming their manager. My son was actually playing at the Broncos at the time. He was uh, he was playing reserve grade, and uh, he had a lot of mates there, blokes like Brad Thorne and Petro and and uh, Mick Devere and all those guys. And and uh, they came to me and said, "Look, uh, we don't know what we're going to do. We got no one to represent us. Would would you become our manager and look after us?" And uh, I don't know what got into me, but I thought it was probably not the right thing to do. It was probably a conflict of interest. He's got to have been a wealthy man now if I'd have done that, but I probably wouldn't have enjoyed my career as much, I don't think. Wouldn't that have been one hell of an op- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Opportunity. Well, it would have been an opportunity. These guys got money that they'd never seen before. It was quite unbelievable. And if they backtracked at first, say a Broncos player... And one of them was Gavin Allen. Gavin Allen didn't go to Super League. He he went to the ARL, but continued to play uh, for the Broncos even though he hadn't signed a, a Super League contract. Um, and I don't know whether he was one of these players, but if a player backtracked and didn't go where the rest of the team was going to go, they came back and filled his pockets a bit more, gave him another offer and, and he, well, how about this? Or how about this incentive? It was just unbelievable. It was like... It was dead set like monopoly money. It was, in that respect, it was disgraceful the amount of money that was wasted and and, and spent on the players. But you know, these two TV moguls uh, wanted to win, and money was no, seen to be no object. Mate, there was obviously uh, a lot of relationships in rugby league that were at least tarnished, if not ruined, during that Super League period. Was there was there any you know personal friendships of yours that was ruined off the back of Super League? Not at all. Not one that I can remember, um, and that was the thing that that, that concerned me uh, somewhat at the start. Uh, being working for for Rugby League Week, which was owned by Australian Consolidated Press, a la Kerry Packer, organisation was behind the uh, the New South Wales or the ARL, and being closely aligned with the Broncos. I mean, I was most of my uh, coverage in Rugby League Week was about the. the you know, Queensland and primarily the Broncos back then, but never once was I directed to write something this way or that way. Never once. And, you know, people would people would have a shot at you and, and think you were aligned to one side or the other, and I think most people were. Um, but no, never once was, uh, or, or can I recall, a, a friendship or an association that was that was lost because of, uh, because of Super League. Mate, explain to us how the 1997 season went, of course, for for the younger generation that are too young to remember this event. I mean, having two, you know, parallel rugby league competitions going at the same time in the country, it must have been unbelievable. Well, for, for, for me in Brisbane, there was the Broncos and there was the South East 
Queensland Crushers playing in different competitions. Uh, and the Gold Coast, I think, oh, I can't even remember what the Gold Coast team was back then. They've had <coughs> so many names, but they were in the ARL competition as well. So I'd just go along and cover a game of rugby league. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter what, what, uh, what the devotion uh, or what dimension it was. I just went along and covered a game of rugby league. And, of course, the Super League, uh, was it the uh, competition was called the, when they played internationally, World Club Challenge, I think it was called. Or yeah, the Tri-Series, was it? Well, that was the Tri-Series was between Queensland, New South Wales and New Zealand. But then they had, apart from the Australian competition, um, they, they then had this international competition where the, the, the Australian teams like Canberra and Penrith and the Broncos would go overseas and play the English clubs and the English clubs would come to Australia and play. It was That was just a joke. That was disgraceful. Um, the poor old Pommy teams, I think they only won two or three games out of the whole series. But from the players, mate, they loved it. Lapped it up, went to, went to travel to um, England in business class and stayed at the top hotels and Wow, the money that was wasted. Hmm. Yeah, not good. Tell you what, it was a, the Tri-Series final played at uh, uh, ANZ Stadium in Brisbane, which was the old uh, Commonwealth Games Stadium at, at, at QE2 in Brisbane when uh, New South Wales played Queensland. And I think it, I, I went for I think it went for 120 minutes. Yeah, that game. something the like extra, time. extra time. When little Noel Goldthorpe kicked the, uh, kicked the winning field goal for New South Wales. Mate, tell me, when when did you have the first indication that we would come back to having one competition? When was that? That was it came back in, 90, in uh, 98, didn't we? Yeah. It was only the one season. Yeah. Yeah, look, I can't really remember, Nathan, but uh, I know that 1988 was just an amazing season of footy. Uh, the, the Broncos won the comp, and that was just a... They played magnificently that year. And, and uh, at the end of 97, or at the start of... Of '98, there was the, the thoughts that which is the better team, Newcastle, who won the ARL competition, or the Broncos, who won the Super League competition. I think a lot of, well, I know a lot of Broncos players and fans are, are pretty dirty that the Super League competition is not really recognised. That that uh, Newcastle were the premiers for that year. If you look up all statistics, 1997, Newcastle were the premiers, and they deserved to be because they played in the inverted commas feed income competition but there was certainly a lot of um, a lot of ill feeling among the Broncos players in particular that they didn't think their competition was recognised as it should have been and uh, they made up for it in 98 when they won that won the grand final it was that was that's probably uh, from a from a Broncos fans point of view that's probably the most complete uh, premiership that they've won I reckon in 19, 1988 Mate, you might be a bit biased, but if you had to make a call on the 97 Knights or the 97 Broncos, who would have got the job done? How long's a piece of string? <laughs> Depends on whether Joey goes the blind side and passes back inside or kicks ahead, doesn't it? Oh, I, I think it's also it's also forgotten how good that Manly team was. Yeah, yeah it was good, yeah. And, and I think the Sharks, the Sharks were probably not the second best team in the Super League competition either. I think probably Canberra was back then. I'm not quite sure. Uh, what happened there, but uh, it, uh, yeah, who, no one will ever know who was the the best. Probably, probably what, what the promoters' dream would have been was a week after the grand final, re, uh, played the Broncos against uh, Newcastle, 
That's what? the biggest stadium you could find, and they probably would have filled it. Would have been a good game. Was there any talk of that? Was that idea floated at all, mate? Oh, not that I remember. I, I don't think there was any uh, any thoughts of marriage back then. Uh, right at the end of that next uh, that nineteen ninety seven season, I don't think they were. There were too many fans of each other's competition back then, so I don't think they were going to think we're going to uh, consider getting back together. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.